the most important thing at that point in time for us was how do we really, really understand who we wanted to be for the rest of our lives, right? And that's a function of many different things. That's a function of, A, getting the whole team to get truly, truly passionate behind one thing that we want to get out there and do. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. Today we have Samir Patel, who is the CEO of Kahuna. And well, Kahuna has been around since, well... It's been around for a while, but you've been CEO for 2016. Is that right? That's right. All right. So tell us a little bit about Kahuna. What it is? What does it do exactly? And then um, you know we'll go from there. All right. First, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. So Kahuna is a uh, it's enterprise software company. Uh, we uh, serve uh, some of the most iconic marketplace brands out there. So business to consumer marketplace brands, be that. Uh, classifieds, consumer services, or even ride-sharing and delivery uh, of goods and services. Uh, Kahuna is the customer engagement platform that these marketplaces use. They use them to drive and improve their buyer marketing uh, and growth. They use them to optimize sellers, find the right sellers, engage the right sellers, get the right sellers in front of the right buyers. And then uh, finally, the third leg of the stool for any marketplace, which is liquidity. And liquidity is um, the idea that uh, you can have a million buyers and a million sellers, but if need and availability don't come together at the same time, you don't really have a business. So Kahuna helps them with all of those different engagement touch points uh, and gets the flywheel moving um, for some of the largest brands in the world, uh, from Singapore to Sao Paulo, we're all over the world, uh, and we serve... Uh, uh, brands, marketplace brands that you know you and I both use probably every day. Yeah. So just just so the audience knows, I mean, what what would be some example of you know big marketplace brands that you guys work with? Yeah. So there's a lot of we're 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 heavily internationally focused. So you know, let's start from the Far East and move towards the U.S. Uh, Carousel uh, is the number one classified uh, uh, marketplace brand across uh, Hong Kong. Singapore and a whole other bunch of countries in the in the Asia Pac region. Uh, so they're a Kahuna, they're a Kahuna customer. Uh, Latin America, the Yelp Meet Open Table of all of Latam is a company called Restaurando. Um, that's where you would go uh, to find restaurants, review restaurants, and then make reservations, just like you would use Yelp for Open Table in the U.S. Um, Kahuna powers all of their marketing. Uh, as well, um, Curb is another customer of ours that's more of our in the ride-sharing business. They're, think about them as sort of the Uber um, hailing service, but for taxis. Mm. Uh, and so those are, those are some of the big, you know, the big brands that, uh, um, that, that rely on Kahuna every day. Got it. And so why would they need to, if, if I'm Curb, you know, what, what is the, the kind of uh, value add of, of going to Kahuna versus someone saying, why don't we just uh, do it ourselves? 
Uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I mean, you know, a, a Curb or a Carousel or any of these marketplaces have a hundred things that they need to focus on. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, uh, if you're uh, if you're running your business tomorrow, you know, you need, say, uh, if you have a B2B business, for example, say you need Salesforce.com, you need that, you're not going to go build it, right? You're going to rely on someone who's an expert in just doing that. So Kahuna applies, you know, ridiculous amounts of data science and machine learning to these problems. And we take over uh, that one problem and, and deal with it very, very well so that marketplaces can focus on, you know, some of the core metrics that they have to worry about and then rely on Kahuna for for different stages of the process, right? If you are a if you are a growing marketplace, you know, you're generally using Kahuna primarily to drive massive amounts of scale and growth both on the buyer side and the seller side. So chances are you're competing with a whole bunch of other marketplaces and the sooner you can make a seller or a or a business service provider feel like, you know, I the ability and the probability of me finding a lot of profitable buyers of my service is better on this marketplace versus something else. You literally have one or two experiences at most to lock that lock that down with every seller, and you need you know tens of thousands of them, right? Right. Those are the kinds of problems that Kahuna thinks about every day. Similar story on the buyer side. If you're a growth, high growth marketplace, like one of the most you know you're successful already, everybody thinks of you every time they need the service. You have a whole other set of problems, which is great. I got everybody's mind share, but I have a churn problem. My customer acquisition costs are too high. So Kahuna will come in and help you make sure that that first time buyer becomes a second time buyer, becomes a third time buyer and reduces churn, right? So when you're growing, you want growth. When you've grown, you want margin. We kind of come in and help you with both those things because you have a million other things to worry about. Great. Cool. So it's it's time savings. That's right. I mean, it's time saving and it's, and it's and it's you know it's just expertise right that's all we worry about we take that every day you have a million other problems as a marketplace this is the one thing we take care of for you right so you know you wouldn't go and build your own accounting software for your business right same same deal got it okay makes sense cool so tell us a little bit about your background because you kahuna you came in as a ceo in 2016 right and we can kind of talk about your background and then all the way leading up to you joining in as ceo sure so you know i work sort of reverse chronologically. Uh, so prior to, prior to Kahuna, I was a, a GM at SuccessFactors SAP um, running uh, a couple of their product lines. Uh, and and then prior to that, I had my own uh, my own services business for about nine years before uh, SAP and SuccessFactors came knocking. And there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between both those things that I did to this job. You know, the first one was Starting a business right in the in the throes of the dot com days, um, where you know there were really tough markets, and you had to find a way to to build a business, and you know the sense of sort of resiliency that comes that was quite applicable to the you know where Kahuna was when I when I kind of picked it up. You know, I was at Success Factors at a very interesting time as well. SAP was SAP Success Factors was trying to get into the collaboration business. It wasn't a category that they had had success with before. And, you know, they had thrown everything at it, thrown good software at it, thrown good people at it. But really what was needed was a market narrative that said, you know, this is essentially a different point of view of the world and we're going to build software and drive thought leadership uh, to be able to get into that space, which is very crowded. And SAP didn't really have any street cred uh, in the space at that time. Uh, and then by the time we were done and I moved to Kahuna, we had over 34 million subscribers using uh, using our software. So that was a pretty good run. And, you know, when I came to, came to Kahuna, Kahuna was, again, at a very interesting point in its evolution when I came 
ridiculously good software, really, really good architectural bones, some really smart people. Uh, but the company uh, just sort of had not, you know, had, had lost its way for a bit in terms of figuring out where to point all that goodness. And so when I came into Kahuna, you know, the first order of business was to try to figure out where do our customers not just like us, but absolutely, truly love us and are fanatical about our products, right? And then I spent the next two years finding us, finding more of those kinds of customers, truly us as a team understanding exactly what they wanted. And, and, and that happened to be the marketplace category. And we spent a year and a half quietly just living there, living, you know, living in their worlds. We would embed teams inside our customers' organizations to truly understand, you know, what would this look like if we were to build a world-class, you know, uh, customer engagement platform for you that could take care of, you know, the sort of three legs of the stool that I described. And uh, fast forward to where we are today, um, you know, we are the uh, effectively the uh, – the only provider really of that kind of software focused just on that market every single day and uh, knock on wood, things are on the up and up. Got it. Great. So, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing too, I think we can start to dive into some of the um, some of the, the, the key passion points we were talking about even, even before we started. But uh, Kahuna has been named or was named the 2017 best places to work yeah. by the San Francisco Business Times. And I have to assume that was pretty intentional from your side. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, so walk us through like why why that was a big deal to to actually get something like that in place, and what kind of results you got from it. Well, I mean, I, I you know I think it's uh, uh, you know it was testament to we weren't really waking up every day chasing the award, but I mean, I had a, I, we had you know I was about six seven months I think into the company by then, and and you know the most um, the most important thing at that point in time for us was how do we really, really understand who we want it to be for the rest of our lives, right? And that's a function of many different things. That's a function of, A, getting the whole team to get truly, truly passionate behind one thing that we wanted to get out there and do. That was one. Second was, you know, we had, um, I want to say a whole bunch of, and and this is not good or bad. We just had multiple flavors of organizational cultures and expectations inside the building. And we need to make that one, right? Who did we want to be and what were the kind of teams we wanted to build and the kind of culture we wanted to celebrate and grow. And so we went through fixing those things. So those are sort of two big things that would give us the kind of resiliency that we needed in the company. Um, we were very vocal about celebrating the right behaviors and also quite vocal about identifying the ones we didn't like. And so, you know, what was probably most remarkable when I look back at us winning that award was, in my mind, I still thought we had a whole bunch of work left to do. We still needed to truly get behind the one thing we were going to do, you know, focus on marketplaces and such, which happened after we got that award. But I think that award, in many ways, was also just testament to the fact that, you know, when you have really bright, hardworking people putting their heart into their work, and you can even just fix essentially the value statement or the value systems as such of the company, that is plenty to get started before you start to figure out which way you might want to go as as a business. There was just an inherent faith, I think, that the team had by then. Because as you know, these awards are employee surveys, right? So this is not yeah. Uh, employees can say whatever they like. Um, and I think the company had just gotten to a point where people were – 
like, look, strategy will change, product direction will change, markets will come and markets will go. But am I truly, truly, truly proud of the kind of company we're building here? And do I and does that give me the juice to be able to withstand, you know, left turns and right turns that are inevitable in the startup world? Right. And I think that's something that's really, really important to me. And I feel like there's always learning to be done. And I think I can even be better at it. But or as a team, we can. But I think the big lesson learned there was, you know, get get people behind you know, un- wanting to be behind the kind of company you're building um, before you try to get them behind the product you're building because the product's going to change. So w- what I'm hearing is once you set, a, you know, a, a kind of vision and, and mission, everyone would start to, start to row in the right direction and that led to, you know, uh, the award was kind of just a piece of that. Yeah, it was a small piece of that. I mean, I don't think even I would tell you that our, 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 our vision and direction were that set. I think what we had set first was, you know, what kind of company do we want to build? And this is more about the bones of the company, right? Not the mission of the product. And I think those are two different things. People tend to think of those two things as the same thing. They're not. You know, your 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 value system and what kind of behaviors you want to celebrate need to outlive the products you're building. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Right? And I, I think... And I think that I think well, actually I'll stop there because I know we've got a bunch of other things we're covering, and I'll come back to some of the, the other. Oh no no no! Please elaborate. Well, I mean, so I think the I think the you know the by extension um, the thing that I have been I've always sort of been really 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 focused on is you know something that I don't think gets enough 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 airtime. You know, we 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 talk as an industry very often about uh, having sort of vision lock with the customer, right? My vision of what I want to build and the customer locking in with that vision. And I think that's actually really, really wrong. I think what companies need to spend more time on is having what I call problem statement lock with the customer versus vision lock on the solution, right? You and the customer have to be absolutely on the same page about the problem that you're solving because you have to, your team has to get excited about it. Me as a leader, I have to get excited about it. I speak a lot. I'm out there. You know, it's easy to tell whether I have conviction in what I'm selling or not. And same goes, you know, for any customer facing employee in our company. And I think that, you know, one of the things we did really well there is, is we had really strong problem statement lock as a company while we were sorting out what the solution is. And I think customers started to really, really grok the kinds of problems we wanted to solve for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And they knew and we knew that the solution is going to morph. Technology is going to change. It's going to get better. You're going to throw out software you built and build new software. But are you? the problem is not going to go away. And are you going to continuously solve that? And I think that had a lot to do also with the state of where the employees' minds were and how they were feeling about the company. Um, so, so it's clarity then, right? So then it's like, what kind of maybe because I, you know, I always look for templates, checklists, whatever. Were there any kind of particular exercises that you guys went through as an organization to kind of get that clarity? Because I'm assuming it's not just you know, Samir comes in and says it's this, right? No, no, it's not that. I mean, I think there's clarity around us understanding what are our innate strengths and what we have built and what we have, right? What makes us different? And where do we have an unfair advantage to, you know, what kind of problems can we solve? And where do we have an unfair advantage to solve certain kinds of problems because of, you know, the inherent decisions made in how our software was built? And how does that map to a massive market need that's out there? 
So I think we spend more time. It's not as checklisty as you might like, but mm. if you spend a lot of time understanding that con- that that intersection between massive sized problems that customers have and the unique one or two things you can do that nobody else can do to solve those problems and you're true and honest to both sides, you will find exactly where you need to you know, point all of your energy, right? And I think we did a reasonably good job of that back then. And that then allowed us to say, okay, let's now narrow it down to an even more focused market size. Let's go in and own a market segment and be the best at it. And here's, that's where we are today. Perfect. Love it. And I forgot to ask this question that I usually ask. So what kind of numbers can you share around the business in terms of maybe gre- uh, revenues, growth rates, things like that? None of it. <laughs> I can't share. I can't share those kinds. But I can definitely share some stuff with you. That'll give you guys a sense of where. Right. So, yeah. So we, you know, seven of the of the number one national marketplaces on the planet today use use Kahuna. So what do I mean? You know, what do I mean by that? I that when when we talked about companies like Carousel, those are the number one marketplaces in you know in Singapore, Hong Kong, like I said. Fast Jobs is another customer, Singapore has hold, Singapore Press Holding. They are the number one marketplace for non-executive jobs again in that region. So we have, you know, we have approached this business more by really getting into the locales of different parts of the world and trying to really understand the the competitive dynamics. And I think that's where we've, uh, you, you'll see, uh, you'll see where you'll see how um, how the business has grown. So that's what. I think the second thing I can share is, you know, one of my favorite stats that talks about the sheer power of the platform that we've built. So one little, in, you know, one little sort of Kahuna trivia, if you will, is uh, Kahuna has onboarded 80 million users in a in a single day uh, without using any DevOps. So the way the software and the technology works is. You know, we had two of the largest brands that I I can guarantee you know, and I are confidentially I can't name them. But without us even being on the office, you know, two customers went live without telling us. We came back on a Monday and said, "Holy crap, what happened here?" And we were like, "Wow, 80 million users across these two customers, uh, big consumer brands, when you know, went up and running." So that's the kind of sheer scale, if you will, that's uh, that's in there. We've processed. I mean, we process billions and billions of events on a given day, right? You can imagine, you know, when you have millions, millions and millions of buyers and sellers, you know, looking at goods, buying them, not buying them, looking at a new category, almost buying them, leaving them the shopping cart, like Kahuna's processing all of those in milliseconds. Right. So that's the, you know, that's the kind of scale and growth that we have um, as a platform. It's pretty unique. Cool. Awesome. That's impressive. Samir, also, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about uh, turnarounds and it's not like you've been through one. It sounds like you've been through multiple. So I guess first, can you speak to the turn- turnarounds that you've been a part of and then we'll kind of go from there? Yeah, I mean, I think the two big ones, honestly, are this one that we're at right now. And I think, you know, I wouldn't call, I mean, to some degree, I would call the, uh, the, the, the role at Success Factors a bit of a turnaround only in that, that the company had tried before to, to go at those two markets and, um, and they never really happened, right? So, you know, when I came to Kahuna, we were playing in a very, very, very crowded market that was getting highly commoditized and looked like a feature function kind of shootout game. And, you know, all of the value and the, the stats that I just mentioned to you, you weren't even getting to a place where you could talk to customers about it. So, you know, which way I can go at the turnaround thing in different ways and tell you, you know, four or five things I think we did well to turn around. Would that be useful? Yeah, that'd be helpful. Okay. 
So I think when you come to a company and doing a turnaround, chances are what you're facing are a couple of things. You know, there's definitely a people and a morale issue. There's definitely a, you know, some problem in terms of why is this a turnaround? And, you know, sometimes you can have people issues and organizational issues, but if you have a company that's going gangbusters on the sales side, you know, many of those issues have you know, a lot more resiliency around those issues. But there's generally something else that's happening too, right? In terms of, you know, are customers buying the product? Are they not buying the product? Are they, are you having trouble messaging it? So there's usually some sort of outward product, product related stuff. And you've got to sort of look at, all of that and figure out what are the four or five things that you need to do for, uh, in the first six to 12 months to have a shot at really taking a big, big, big swing, right? So I think what my, you know, different experiences have taught me, I'll throw a couple of things out. I mean, I think the first thing is there's a, you know, companies have a tendency to try to go fix product and go to market in the beginning. And I think the thing you think you can come back to later is people and culture. And I think that's the mistake. That, you know, you feel like, well, if these people quit, whether they're right or wrong, I won't be able to fix products. So you go try to fix product. And I actually think you need to go through the pain of significantly reducing your burn and mm. dealing with both those problems early, early on and say, look, I'm going to even put the company on life support for three or four months, find the right people, cut the cost burn of the company down, and then start to build out a, a good company. So when you're saying cut, you're mainly talking about cutting a lot of payroll costs, right? Well, all of it, right? Like, I mean, you, you never know, right? You, every company is, is spending more than they should be spending in multiple places. I think payroll is definitely one of them, right? Um, I think there's often a mismatch in terms of the kinds of people that you have. You know, I've learned my way through how to do this in a very productive and effective way. These are people's lives and careers. But, you know, I feel really good about when we had to go about this, we had a ridiculously good infrastructure in place, for everybody that we had to let go, everything from all our VCs standing there ready to put their resumes to work into their portfolios to, you know, the kinds of benefits and the kind of help we could give them. And I think we ended up in the right place. But you have to go through that early. We tend to want to do those things afterwards. But you have to sort of understand, you know, how do you buy yourself five, six, seven, eight, ten months more than you think you even have. Um, because whatever you think you have, you have less of it. So I think most people make that mistake and say, hey, listen, I'm going to try to throw better people at the problem than my predecessor did. And usually, you know, that's not true. I had very, very clever, very astute, very competent predecessors. And, you know, just, just trying to solve the problem they couldn't solve is not necessarily something we need to look at. So I find that to be something that people usually make a mistake. Uh, they they leave the people side of it to come to next, and and I think that's where they don't end up getting the same kind of punch they could have gotten on changing product and team and go to market if they don't deal with that problem up front. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. So okay, we got we got one right. So we cutting costs. That's one. Yep. So I think the second thing too is, you know, you know, trying to figure out using some of the sort of, you know, the, the problems that might have happened in the past to your advantage, right? So what are the lessons you can learn from all the different angles that, you know, were looked at before you actually showed up in terms of places you pointed the product to, customers you try to sell to, markets you try to sell into, uh, you know, product and features that you built. And one of the things that I realized, and I think we could have done that this even earlier, to be honest, um, is... How do you massively narrow down the go-to-market focus, but double and triple the software that you build, right? So when you're coming into a company where, you know, you, you, you make the time to go find out who are 
no more than a fifth or even an eighth of your customer base from a category standpoint, showing the best promise and using the product in the most effective way. You know, it could be, the answer could be more than one, right? You then figure out where is the most addressable market and the most high growth subsects that I can go after, if that's all I did. And then you double and triple the software that you offer for that market. So usually what happens is people in turnarounds, they just try to narrow the market and provide the same software and just do some cute branding on their website and say, hey, look, I'm the only guy who does this. Yeah, well, when I lift the covers and I look at what you have, you kind of sort of have the same stuff as everybody else does, right? So, you know, you narrow the spigot and you go after very focused customers, but you increase the size of the tank and you put a lot more features and functions in there that can have much more of a holistic solution than So I feel like, I mean, this is a whole podcast in and of itself, but I think most companies don't do this well. Mm. They end up just, and what effectively they have is, you know, better branding, more targeted branding, more targeted thought leadership, all good, but in a competitive environment where it's down to you and another competitor, you end, you know, the customer calls your bluff, right? And says, look, dude, like, okay, you call yourself this, but you don't have anything that's different from anybody else. So, Narrow your focus, but expand your your offering. Right, that's that's something that I think is a is a key key piece to turnarounds. So when you say when you say narrow, I mean so narrowing your focus, right? Expanding your offering. Um, I'm I'm kind of it kind of sounds like to me it's like aren't those two like contradictions? So you're you're narrowing. So you're let me give you let me give you an analogy, right? Let me let's make it real, right? So, you know, let's look at what we did, right? Kahuna was selling to um, uh, anybody who wanted to buy marketing software in, in B2C, in, in, you know, in B2C land, right? So media companies, e-commerce companies, definitely some marketplaces, you know, anybody, right? And all, all we were selling to all of them, all we were selling was buy a marketing software, right? Like any marketing automation. So when we moved to the kahuna that we are today, we said, okay, we're not going to actively start to sell to media companies and a whole bunch of other companies that aren't truly in this sort of buyer-seller model that's the marketplace. We're going to narrow our focus down to just that buyer and become experts at their business. Now, in that, and and when I say experts at that business, again, I don't mean like our website just says marketplaces. It has taken us a year and a half to really understand how, what gets a uh, classified type marketplace up and running and spinning versus a consumer services where you know company like a like a uh, like a restaurando or a ride sharing company the nuances of running these businesses are wildly different and so you know when you narrow your focus you're narrowing the category but you are becoming extremely smart at all those different nuances what gets buyers up and running in one of those versus sellers versus liquidity all different problems to solve but so to me, that's like that's the first part of this, right? You've narrowed your focus and you become really good at one thing. And of course, if it's not a market that's large in size, that's a problem, right? Luckily for us, it's gigantic, so we're good. The so second piece is the offering, right? To your point, like you said, it's contradictory, right? So the first part is the is the is the is the positioning and is the is the focus. The second part is the offering. And the offering, what we've done at Kauna is we've gone far beyond buyer marketing now, right? We've really built out features and capabilities that drive seller optimization. We've built out features that drives analytics now for marketing. We've built out features that drives liquidity. Those are things that traditional marketing automation platforms do not have. Got it. Okay, makes total sense now. So I, I get it now. So it's it's okay. You guys, before you, it sounds like before you came into Kahuna, maybe you guys were not focused on digital marketplaces. Maybe it was like kind of all over the place. Yes. 
That's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. So then you focus on digital marketplaces. You said this is good. And then you kind of went deep on that. And then you figured out, you know, maybe did a lot of customer development and then you figured out how to serve this, this audience better. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Makes perfect sense. All right. Number three. Okay. So those were, you know, those are, those are the two big ones. I think, uh, I think the third thing too is, is that, you know, if you are truly all in on, this is a new company, this is a new direction, this is a new culture, this is a new strategy, this is the reduced team. That is the team that's going to take us forward. All of that is really, really hokey. If you don't deliver that and make the employees and the team feel like, I actually feel like I'm one of the first 30 employees. And that comes in many ways, right? That comes in, you know, what is the shared responsibility and growth opportunities that you're giving these 30 who are your rock stars or 50 or 90, whatever it might be, you know, that's going to take you forward. How are you as, you know, working with them on a literally individual basis to make sure that for the next two to three years, their professional uh, aspirations are being taken care of? Um, how are you involving them in a whole bunch of things that are outside the periphery of their day jobs to expand their minds and give them the kind of access they would have gotten if they were truly the first 30 employees? And then finally, what have you done to the cap table and the structure of the company to financially also make them, and financially being obviously equity and at least in startup land? You know, how do they start to feel like, yeah, this looks more like me being the first 30 employees? Now, again, a very critical thing because everything else is kind of happy talk. Right. You know, you, you cannot you're not being you're not being authentic and real to these rock stars that you believe are going to take the company forward. If you're not taking care of both the, you know, the um, the professional growth side, the emotional side and the financial side. And so I think that's another piece of the whole restructuring that you have to be able to have the conviction and the chutzpah to sit down with your board and have a really, really strong discussion and good boards will support you. We were truly lucky our boards absolutely got the idea that said, we don't have a company of these 30 people don't, you know, don't give everything that they have and they've, they've chosen to stick around. And how are you going to make them 30 or 50 or 90, whatever that number might be for any, you know, for, for anyone listening? That's great. I mean, so here, here's the thing, like, I'm thinking like, okay, a lot of people are like, oh, this sounds great. And maybe some people are going through the, this, this right now, but it's like, you know, what if they don't have a support system to, to figure out how to structure all of these, uh, these, you know, these deals for people, where, where can they start, I guess, to take care of their people? Are there, is there, are there any online resources or something like that? I'm trying to reach back and think of how we did this. You know, there wasn't. I mean, honestly, there wasn't. There was a, you know, in our case, I mean, the board, we with the board collectively, we worked through and said, okay, this is a percentage of the ownership of the company that we are going to preserve in in the refinancing of the company uh, and not have any of the employees be, you know, these, so these, this, this, this chunk of the ownership of the company expands, doesn't get diluted. And together we came up with what we thought was absolutely was the right thing to do. So, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know if, I mean, I, I'm assuming I'm not the first one who's done this. It was just a very common thing. Can you give us a range maybe for like the, that percentage? Can't. I, I, I just do not believe that there, I don't think there's an industry standard, but I think, I think you start this discussion honestly with your board. Let me be, let me, so let me help a little, right? I don't have a place to go or a formula here, but here's what I would do. Sit down with your board. Your board understands the changes that you're kind of making, you know, state the, you know, put the problem in front of them. And believe me, they've seen 50 of these before, or someone in their portfolio companies, you know, in their, in their funds have seen this and you will get an answer. But so where I would start is like, this is not a you versus the board discussion. This is happening with your board as a board and they'll be able to help you figure, figure this out. Go to your board. Here's a short answer. 
Great. Okay. Great. Well, Samir, I mean, I, I definitely think we need to have like an extension podcast for sure, but I'm going to work towards wrapping up on, on, on this one because I think there's more to talk around, you know, turnarounds, building teams and things like that. I love those subjects. Um, but what is one must read book you'd recommend to everyone uh, not called the hard thing about hard things? Nice. So the one book that I would say everybody should read is a book called, it's a very old book, actually. It's probably 20 years old. Because I read this when I was in college, and I still refer to this book. I still read this. Every couple of years, I'll pick it up. It's called What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School. Hmm. It's written by a guy by the name of Mark McCormick. Um, It had a big influence on me. I come from generations of small business owners, both on my mom's side and my dad's side. And a lot of who I am today was because of just the sheer practicality of learning from, you know, in many cases, not very well. I mean, all educated, but not wildly educated people. Um, but these are all people who learn practically. That book is the MBA that every entrepreneur needs. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. So what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School's notes from a street smart executive, that one? That's it. That's absolutely it. It will teach you everything from how to get, you know, um, you know how to negotiate, how to, it is all the things that just, it's just not something that scales in an in a, in a, in a academic setting. Wonderful. And is audiobook okay for this one or do you recommend the actual physical copy? No, I think audio is awesome. The great thing about this book is every tip he has in there is a paragraph. Like there's no chapters, really. Every tip is a paragraph. So you could literally read, if you promise yourself and said, I'm going to read five five every morning or two every morning, and that's it, you'll feel like you've got an advisor sitting there um, on your shoulder. It's, it's, it's amazingly well written for any any entrepreneur who has, doesn't have the attention to go through a book, and uh, I'm maybe channeling myself. <laughs> Oh, you know what? They don't have it in Audible. There's only a summary version, which is only 52 minutes. So it looks like everyone has to get the book. But literally, the book is, like I said, every every tip is half a page. You could choose, you could say every morning when I wake up, I'm going to read one tip, and you'll be done with the book in a month. Mm, okay. All right. Done deal. I just added it to, to, to my cart. Uh, Samir, final question for you. What is one tool that you've added in the last year that has added a lot of value? So, for example, I just bought a bed jet for my bed that sprays air into my sheet so I don't get really hot when I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the one tool? Um, I think the best one I can give you is I've, I've recently discovered something that probably every other entrepreneur knows is, uh, is uh, an app called Blinkist. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked to Blinkist. Yeah. So for everyone, I mean, th- these are the, the really short 15 minute summaries, right? Get through a book every morning. You know, I make tea in the morning. My tea makes about six, takes six minutes to make. I'm halfway through my, through a book by the time my tea's ready. Can't beat it. Love it. Okay. Well, Samir, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? So I'm, uh, Twitter is best at Samir Patel and I blog at pretzel logic, P R E T Z E L L O G I C dot org. You'll find me at, uh, I'm pretty active on both. Wonderful. We'll drop both of those into the show notes. Samir, thanks so much for doing this. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.